The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat, Jr. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I am your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is Final DFARS Rule. Yes, that's DFARS, which actually means Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement. And it's all about the detection and avoidance of counterfeit electronic parts. The rule addressed, uh, addresses, if you will, the contractor responsibilities for detecting and avoiding the use of use or inclusion of counterfeit electronic parts or suspect counterfeit electronic parts, the use of trusted suppliers, and the requirements for contractors to report these parts. Uh, interesting enough, it's 18 pages of language that only a good, solid, um, knowledgeable person and perhaps a legal uh, with a legal background can interpret for us. And that's what we're going to do today is uh, with the help of my guest, uh, Robert Metzger, we're going to uh, help our audience understand what the real ramifications are of this DFARS rule. Today's show is being brought to you by our sponsors, Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, and Secure Components, LLC. Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, provides business process and quality management consulting, training, and software tools. The principles of BQPM led the development and implementation of the international hazardous substance process management certification program used by more than 4,500 manufacturers to demonstrate their compliance to the European Union's restriction of hazardous substance laws and the International Counterfeit Avoidance Certification Program. To learn more about what BQPM does and how they can help your company, visit their website at www.bqpm.com. Secure Components, LLC, is an independent distributor specializing in obsolete and hard-to-find components. Secure Components is the first company in the world to achieve international certification for their counterfeit detection and mitigation process controls. Their IECQCAP certification was achieved in accordance with the SAE AS6081 standard. 
When you need help finding high-quality obsolete or hard-to-find components, you want secure components on your team. To learn more about what can, secure components can do, visit their website at www.securecomponents.com. I alluded to having an excellent, uh, state-of-the-art, uh, high-quality, uh, the guru of gurus when it comes to interpreting DFARS. So let me not waste another second, but introduce Robert uh, Metzger uh, to the show. Robert, are you there? I am. Outstanding. I'm ho- I hope I'm not uh, understating your, your credentials too much here. Well, I'm uh, more inclined to worry that you might overstate them. Uh, I suppose our audience will be the judge. Yes. Let me take just a second. Uh, Robert S. Metzger is managing partner of Washington, D.C. office of Rogers Joseph O'Donnell, P.C. They are a boutique law firm based in San Francisco that has specialized in public contracts for more than 30 years. Bob is widely published author. See, I told you, the, the guru of gurus in diverse areas, including state and local information technology acquisition, supply chain assurance, and cybersecurity. Organizational conflict of interest, contract award controversies, and international aerospace transitions. So, Bob, I don't think I'm understating anything here. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, as always, pleased. Bob has been a guest on the show before, and as always, I'm very pleased to have him and uh, look forward to our discussion today about uh, what I'm thinking is really demystifying, if that's possible, the, uh, the, our good government's uh, acquisition program and how it relates to the counterfeit world. Well, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Okay. Now, so you, you mentioned that we have this uh, DFARS, which is a, a term for a type of regulation that applies to defense contractors, and uh, some of the some contractors that sell to the Defense Department are subject to the regulations, and other contractors who who may not sell directly to the Defense Department will also be affected by the regulation because uh, contract requirements that reflect this new regulation will flow down to uh, all tiers of the supply chain for electronic parts. So is that, can, yeah, is, is that something that's, that's new with this uh, regulation, or is that something that does happen in various ways in other well, regulations? It, you know, we've seen it in some other regulations. You know, in the last uh, decade or so, we, we all know that there's been an, a change in the, the threats to the supply chain. There's the wave of counterfeits, which your show has addressed, and there's also cyber threats, some of which can be carried as malicious code on counterfeit parts. And the government's been uh, working hard to to find ways to to move industry and those who operate critical infrastructure to better protect themselves and the public against counterfeit uh, material counterfeit electronic parts, and against cyber threats. We don't have, uh, you know, it, 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 the government has not issued regulations that uh, claim to affect you know, all companies uh, engaged in commerce. But 
where they have purchasing power, they are using the leverage of their uh, purchases and the uh, authority that they have over their suppliers to, to try to move the industry at many tiers and across a, a broad span of devices and equipment. We're trying to move them both into uh, better practices to avoid counterfeit parts and to more rapidly discover them and properly deal with them when discovered. And they're also trying in, in similar ways to make industry do a better job of uh, protecting itself against cyber threats, whether uh, carried through parts or, or otherwise. Oh, we Talk about cyber threats for just a minute, and I don't want to get too far away from understanding the the rules that have just come out, but when we talk about cyber threats, I know we've had some other guests on the show that have talked about the potential for the electronics, and particularly counterfeit electronics, to have what are often referred to as Trojan horses built into them, uh, into the firmware that allows ways in for people to have ways in to actually see what's being transmitted. Uh, that's part of what this is all about, is trying to protect by making sure that we're not getting these uh, counterfeit parts that have this type of firmware in them. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, Stan, you're, you're onto something that's very important. Uh, but we should distinguish between two types of counterfeits. Uh, the counterfeit that's most often uh, encountered is, is a fake. It's made by someone whose motive is profit, who takes advantage of demand for parts that are no longer readily available. And he's trying to make a buck by selling right. something that pretends to be more than what it is. Fakes will typically fail when they're put into the operating environment. There can be sophisticated fakes, much more dangerous because they're harder to detect. But there is a fundamental difference between fakes and what uh, some of us call taints. Those are parts that are made that are much more sophisticated. They may be made by uh, state actors, by rogue uh, technology resources working with state uh, approval of, of states. Mm. Uh, a tainted part is one that uh, may work perfectly well in uh, an ordinary test. It may be very difficult to discover through just visual inspection. It can harbor code that can disrupt its uh, function in critical situations. In the worst of plausible situations, a tainted part might be used to exfiltrate uh, critical mission information in the military sense or to, to exfiltrate the valuable intellectual property of companies uh, in whose system such a part might be installed. And when we talk about a Trojan horse, one of the possibilities is that the taint in a counterfeit, uh, in a sophisticated counterfeit part, the malicious code, might be used to essentially give access to hostile sources, whether governments or, or commercial rivals, might give them access to trusted systems and networks through which they can take information or, or disrupt intended functionality. And if we looked over the last couple of years of efforts by uh, the Department of Defense and and other federal agencies, we we see that, that there are, are related, sometimes coordinated, but uh, different efforts to deal with both fakes and taints. And the newest rule, the one that's led to our conversation, is really right. focused upon fakes. Okay. And, uh, and yet it, it embodies some of the same 
uh, tools that we also see in the more difficult area of avoiding uh, malicious counterfeits. Okay. So, help us uh, demystify. What what are the uh, perhaps the critical aspects of this new uh, regulation supplement that's come out? Sure. Well, you know what the regulation tries to do makes uh, perfectly good sense at the at the concept level. Is is always the true and true in dealing with the government. The devil does lie in the details. The regulation first uh, applies primarily to the largest of contractors, to the Department of Defense. But as I've said, it also will extend much more broadly and much more deeply in the supply chain because it, it insists that these large contractors, whose customers is, are, who sell directly to the Pentagon, the rule insists that they flow down the clause uh, and its requirements to other, other companies in their supply chain. Uh, the most important emphasis of the of the new regulations is to uh, propel to push government suppliers to purchase electronic parts from uh, original equipment manufacturers, original component manufacturers, and their authorized distributors when they are available. And uh, the rule also requires uh, companies to improve their practices of inspection and test to have higher confidence that the parts that they receive and use are authentic. Uh, if uh, companies find cause to suspect that a part might be counterfeit, there are some additional requirements to report that suspicion or the, the knowledge that a part in fact is counterfeit. There are some uh, corrective measures that have to be uh, taken when a counterfeit part or a suspect part is encountered. And there are some fairly elaborate uh, requirements, but largely express, expressed as principles rather than specific rules, as to contractor systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts. So, you know, if you, if you stand back and you look at this, you say, well, doesn't it make sense for contractors to buy from authentic sources? Sure. Shouldn't we do a better job of inspection and test? Of course. Right. Is it appropriate to report a counterfeit? Yes, it is. Corrective measures necessary? Right. But when you get into the implementation, there can be some very, very difficult questions. And the rule, although it is uh, quite complicated, took almost two and a half years for DOD to produce. And even so, Stan, this one rule is just uh, one of several pending rulemaking activities, as we call them. Right. Because DOD has said that it expects to to come out with an, at least another three, perhaps four additional rules that cover other aspects of the same functions that I've just discussed. There's an effort to produce a new rule on reporting of counterfeit material, which is would not include only electronic parts, it would include any counterfeit material. There's another uh, effort underway to help figure out how companies can uh, identify trusted suppliers if you cannot get a part that you need from an original source. Right. Uh, another big problem is the is how to make sure that the rule uh, makes sense when you're dealing with commercial suppliers of commercial parts, commercial item contractors or if you're buying electronics off the shelf. So all these all these are things that uh, remain unresolved. And then within this new rule itself there's Quite a lot of questions are going to come up, but 
it shouldn't really come as a surprise to to anyone who's been following the industry. It's been clear for several years, as as you know well, that the government is concerned about the threat of counterfeit parts, right? And is determined to make uh, the industrial base that supplies the government's needs do a better job to avoid them. I'm curious. My own background. Um, has been in the electronics industry, and it's been in more of the consumer side. Although I've I've been in and out of uh, organizations that supply to our government service agencies. Uh, uh, two parts to the question that I have. One is I'm assuming that this rule applies not just to a major piece of equipment like an airplane or a missile or. Uh, a defense uh, apparatus of some sort, but it would also potentially apply to perhaps the computers that are used to man uh, stations that transmit information, radios that transmit information. It's really everything that's GSA or government service. Well, let's let's stop there. Okay. Not exactly. The rule okay. the rule applies first to the largest of defense department suppliers. There's a, a threshold that they employ. If companies are subject to the special accounting rules of the Department of Defense, known as the cost accounting standards, then they are subject right. to Now, if you are one of those, say, 60 companies that is subject to all of the requirements of those special accounting rules, this regulation is going to apply to everything that you sell to the Department of Defense. And you will be required to flow down these uh, obligations to everyone in your supply chain, whether they're commercial or not, or at least that's what the rule demands. And so uh, the, 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 inter- the rule has its most direct impact upon defense supplies, but those supplies also include uh, services that are uh, rendered through the use of electronic equipment. And so if you furnish uh, information technology or communications devices in order to provide a service for, of information management or communications to the Department of Defense, then these rules would apply. However, at this particular point in time, the rules do not apply to all of the civilian agencies. There have been some separate efforts, not quite the same, but similar, uh, on, some agen- on the part of some agencies, the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Energy, and NASA. All right. And, of course, the Federal Aviation Administration has its own regime. Uh, let me, let me uh, if you don't mind, Bob, let me stop you there for just a minute. We need to take a short break, uh, radio identification and uh, sponsorship. Um, but I'd like to pick up on that because that this is – you know, it's quite interesting, and um, I want to be sure we cover this well for our audience. So we'll be right back after station identification. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. Secure Components is your international certified supplier of obsolete and hard-to-find products. Specializing in counterfeit mitigation, Secure Components is a qualified supplier for the Department of Defense, Aerospace, Military, and Avionics Industries. If you're a business in need of hard-to-find or obsolete components, please contact us by visiting our website, securecomponents.com, or call us at 484-222-5195. Again, 484-222-5195. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat.com at ECCCorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at ECCCorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is the final DFARS rule. That's the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement, Uh, known as a DFARS rule, and uh, this is a document that was uh, published, the one we're talking about, was published on, uh, well, I guess it was published just a little bit ago, but it went into effect on May 6th. Uh, My guest, Robert Metzger, is a uh, managing uh, partner at the Washington... uh, partner of the Washington, D.C. office of Rogers Joseph O'Donnell, P.C., which is a boutique law firm based in San Francisco. Uh, And by all means, uh, Bob has an extensive background in our subject, and we've been talking about the rule, these new DFAR rules, and what they mean to industry. And Bob, if you wouldn't mind picking up where we left off, you were, uh, I believe, talking about flow down and yep. what this means. Well, this is one of the most important aspects of the new rule. The rule has its uh, history going back to the end of 2011 when the Congress passed a law that's called Section 818, 8.8. Right. 
of the 2011 Defense Authorization Bill. Oh, that eighty. Sorry, Bob. Just before we go on on that, that was the one where Senators uh, McCain and Levin held a, a committee meeting. If I, or it was the outcome of the committee well, they, meeting. They had a lengthy investigation of counterfeit parts. They okay, a lot on counterfeits that were coming from China. And the Senate was very upset with this, and it pay it passed this tough law. And the law makes very good sense, but it's taken two and a half years to produce the first set of regulations, which is uh, an indicator of how complex the implementation issues are. So let's focus on the implementation on the flow-down question. Okay. The law itself applies, strictly speaking, just to the largest contractors. But, of course, if you take the 60 or 100 largest DOD contractors, their supply chain has many tiers from the first-tier subcontractors down to smaller vendors who may be a dozen levels below. And the supply chain can be very broad. It can include uh, suppliers of very sophisticated systems or assemblies to suppliers of piece parts, even passive electronic devices. So if you think of the, if you think of the supply chain as being a cone that, uh, that starts with the prime contractor and goes down all the way and all the way across, there's an awful lot of companies that are in there. For many, The farther you get away from the company that sells directly to the Pentagon, the less likely that the supplier will be thinking about these kind of rules, even right. if it's concerned about counterfeits. And it, it's known to your audience, I'm sure, that a great deal of the system's equipment that are sold to the Pentagon uses electronic uh, assemblies. And in those assemblies, there can be literally tens of thousands of parts that are not made specifically or specially or uniquely right. for the Department of Defense. There are commercial parts that are made for any number of applications. The Department of Defense might be a tiny user of a particular part, even if it's used in the most critical of weapon systems. Right. Well, this is where things are going to get a bit difficult. Because the law says to a Lockheed Martin, just to pick an example, it says you must flow this rule of counterfeit detection and avoidance down to everybody in your supply chain. And what companies naturally will want to do is to prepare some form of warranty or certification so that in theory anyone at any tier who supplies anything that's electronic will vouch for the authenticity and promise to make it good if it's not. All right. Well, the difficulty is that the farther you get away from the government as your customer, the less likely it is that you are either able to or even willing to accept those kinds of requirements. I mean, suppose that you're a small company that makes a, you know, a resistor, let's say it's a transistor, an integrated circuit. All suppose right. that, that, that uh, five tiers above you Lockheed Martin needs a thousand of those for the F-35. Well, if Lockheed Martin had its way, you, the supplier of that device, would have to agree to these special certifications and special measures and procedures and systems. Right. But if, if that part of your business base is less than 1% and you sell the same part around the rest of the world without those requirements, you may choose not to do it. And so one of the things that this regulation does not do well is recognize that there is a serious disconnect between its uh, insistence that the prime and higher tier contractors comply with all the requirements 
and the real-world practicalities that not too far below the second or third tier, necessary suppliers don't have to. They don't have to accept the contracts. Here's a point that a lot of people miss. If you are covered by this regulation, a big contractor, well, you have no choice. But for everybody that receives a flow down, the only right. way that you become obligated to satisfy that flow down is if you accept the contract. The regulation doesn't apply to you itself. The regulation only has impact to you if, as a supplier, you agree to accept it in a contract with a customer who is subject to it. And so what I think is going to happen, what I know will happen, is that a lot of suppliers are going to look at these uh, flow-down requirements and they're going to go, well, that's great, and I support the cause, and I'm a reputable company, but there is no way I'm going to take on all these obligations and liabilities and responsibilities. I have a business of selling electronic parts. I sell them around the world. I have my own methods of making sure that they're not counterfeit. If you want to buy from me, great. But I am not going to lay on all these special procedures or take on all these additional risks just so that you can satisfy your customer. You'll have to take that risk. This is going to be hard. Yes, it certainly sounds like it is. And I I can remember times in the past when, not for counterfeit, but for other reasons, uh, just such a situation, supply chain becomes very difficult. Uh, They they just soon walk away from it. And they, and they might. I mean, if I may, let me go one step further. Okay. So, you know, one of the odd things about this regulation is that it goes into fairly elaborate detail telling the bigger companies how to do what most of them already know how to do and are trying to do in the ordinary course. Right. It says that you should buy from the original source of parts and rely upon authentic sources. We all agree. The problem is that there are literally tens of thousands of devices, systems, equipment, and hardware that some of which were made 50 or even more years ago. Right. That remain in the inventory in service that have to be sustained or maintained. And it's for those tens of thousands of systems where there is still a demand for parts, whether mechanical or electrical, that just aren't made anymore and cannot be obtained from these trusted sources. And yet the law, the regulation basically says, well, we hereby tell you suppliers to buy from original sources. And then if you can't, well, we don't know exactly what you should do, but we will get to telling you how you will figure out what to do then. And so it regulates this primary market, that is the people who already make the stuff and presumably make it you know, with high authenticity and integrity, it tells them what to do, but it doesn't tell the industry how to address the, this huge demand for parts that aren't readily available. And that's going to be another area where there's going to be some difficulty in implementation. Yes, and I guess at the risk of opening a can of worms, um, you know, when I was starting out in industry, it was easy to find a manufacturer somewhere in the continental United States that was making a resistor or a capacitor or a, a component that I needed. Uh, today, that's, that's a global search, and it's more difficult to find a U.S.-based manufacturer. 
uh, I, uh, how does how does the flow down work? I mean, obviously, oh, you, you're against, and you're on one of the difficult issues. Okay, <laughs> the, the people in the Pentagon they're they're not foolish, right? You know, they're they're trying their best. But a decision was made roughly 20 years ago, at the after the end of the Cold War, that we were going to move away from an industrial base that was. Uh, sort of dedicated to and subject to special requirements for defense needs. You right. remember the mill spec and mill oh, standards. Oh, yes. Well, you know, at that time, the, you know, if you were buying, if you're building or developing a complex system for military purposes, you had some degree of assurance that the sources of supply would all play according to the chapter and verse of the many requirements. Right. But the decision was made that the Department of Defense needed to have access to commercial sources and to the innovation in the commercial marketplace, and that it was just too expensive to continue to pay what we call the regulatory cost premium to buy from these, an isolated supply chain. So 20 more, 20 years ago or more, the decision was made to open up defense needs to commercial suppliers. And what happened then was that China entered into world commerce and other parts of the developing world became more adept. Right. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we truly have a global supply chain, meaning we could be buying from sources anywhere in the world and by reason of investment decisions, even some of the most prominent U.S. suppliers of electronic components have facilities and make those parts in, for example, China. Right. And there is no way to close that door or to turn back that clock. And that's where we get into another principle that is given at least lip service in the rule, and that is risk-based assessment. Since you can't deal with all of the problems or all of the risk, and you cannot absolutely eliminate the hazard of counterfeit parts, the rule says, somewhat hesitantly, <laughs> Contractors should engage in, engage in risk-based assessment in figuring out how to run their systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts. So I, I guess there's there's uh, hope for some of the work I'm doing in setting up international certification programs for supply chain. Well, that's uh, you know one of the things that has been a great concern to industry is this: the the, the regulation says that contractors have to have systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts. Right. Those systems have to be compliant with a bunch of principles. There are 12 of them, not very specific, all noble principles. But they don't really tell you how to do that. So the right. rule says, well, okay, you got to have a system. It has to be compliant. And if it's not compliant, we're going to cut the payments we make to you or we won't let you sell things to us. But it says, now, when we get around to looking at compliance, we, we want you to stay on top of uh, industry standards and best practices, and you figure out for yourself what are the ones to use. Now, that is a two-sided coin. Mm -hmm. One side of the coin is that it trusts industry to make good decisions about which standards and practices will work best for the particular company. I think that's the right answer. But the other side of the coin is that you can make what you think are the right decisions, and then some, forgive the term, bureaucrat <laughs> may say, you're wrong, in which case a lot of bad things can happen. And so, you know, we, 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 we have 
you know, SAE has been the source of several standards that are, right. are relevant here. 5553 is the most important, but they're not enough, and they're a work in progress, and there are others. And what we really want is to see on a global basis improvements in the practices of the entire electronic supply chain, beginning with device design, choice of materials, use of authentication techniques, resistance to tampering, traceability, documentation, field inspection, methods of secure inclusion in assemblies and boards and the like. We want to see that stuff done where everyone who purchases electronic systems, whether complex or simple, has higher degree of confidence that the parts included in what they buy are authentic. So if you're working on a global standard that will help to that, I think that's all to the great. And I think it's really important because even though the commercial electronics industry is not likely to embrace all of the specific demands of the Department of Defense in this rule, every reputable company agrees that counterfeits are a threat that needs to be addressed. And no reputable supplier wants to deliver consumer goods or military goods that include counterfeits. That that has really been punctuated by some of the work that I've been doing and in some of the meetings that I attend. I was recently at a a NIST meeting where Homeland Security had one of their folks there and was talking about the counterfeit issues relative to consumer industry, although they also touched on the military and government uh, procurement issues as well. And it is very obvious that this problem, uh, while it's getting a lot of attention from the DOD and what's happening there for all the right reasons, um, it's it goes far beyond. I don't know if if you happen to have caught the show we did on January 14th, but even the United Nations has launched a campaign to try and address the counterfeit uh, issues in all aspects of industry. Uh, in part because it's becoming uh, it's becoming second, or it is actually second only today, only to. Uh, drugs and uh, human trafficking. It is a global issue. It's really become a plague. I think it has, I guess, the most attention often because of the the fraud that's uh, wreaked upon ordinary consumers who think they're buying something that's less than what they paid for. Right. But, you know, there is no reason to think that the threat of counterfeits is limited to defense articles. Far from it. I mean, there are so many aspects of our governance, of our daily lives, of financial systems and operations that depend upon electronics, just to focus on that industry, or depend on critical forms of materiel, and where a counterfeit, if inserted into the supply chain, is going to create harm now or later. We have to understand why the, you know, why the demand is there. I mean, part of the problem has been that uh, counterfeiters are able to offer fakes for less money than the genuine parts cost. And all all too often, public purchasers especially, all too often public purchasers want to buy the least cost way to satisfy the near-term need. And they're not always willing to pay the higher price for authenticity. The other problem is that is one of 
supply. I mean, the counterfeiters are very alert to where there is demand for material or for parts that, for which the authentic supply is not available. And this rule falls a bit into that trap. It, it suggests that, well, you know, you should always buy from the original equipment maker, and if you shouldn't, you should consider your alternatives. But since we know that you can't in many of the circumstances, telling you to consider the alternatives and telling you that they're thinking about how to qualify those alternatives is really just punting the ball way down the field. Right. It doesn't do anything to solve the problem. Very true. We're up against another break. When we come back, I'd like to ask you another question relative to the rules related to medical industry and the military. Folks, don't go away. Come back and let's hear Robert Metzger's response to that question. How does this actually play out against the medical industry's tools? We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Secure Components is your international certified supplier of obsolete and hard-to-find products. Specializing in counterfeit mitigation, Secure Components is a qualified supplier for the Department of Defense, Aerospace, Military, and Avionics Industries. If you're a business in need of hard-to-find or obsolete components, please contact us by visiting our website, securecomponents.com, or call us at 484-222-5195. Again, 484-222-5195. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at ecccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at ecccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is 
all about the final DFARS rule. My guest, Bob Metzger, and I have been talking about what we have for new rules uh, related to counterfeit uh, detection and mitigation. And I want to jump right back in here as we we're on the home stretch of our show today, Bob. Um, when we took a break, I was asking about the rules and if they actually might apply to things like the medical device industry uh, for the DOD, which supports our uh, men and women in, in the field and in, uh, in combat when there's a need to apply medical uh, attention to them. Well, that's a very good question, Stan. Um, at the risk of sounding too much like a lawyer, the answer is <laughs> yes and no. Okay. The yes part is that if you're a big uh, DOD contractor, just to pick one, General Electric. Okay. It, uh, if you're a big DOD contractor and the same entity, legal entity, supplies medical equipment, as supplies, say, aircraft engines. Right. Well, then the rules can apply to you as a supplier, and you don't get to exclude things that are in the healthcare area. Interesting. But, but you know, the, the rule is likely to have much less effect upon uh, medical devices because it's my impression that ver- a very large number of medical devices are sold by companies that are not specialty focused government contractors. They are commercial companies who sell direct to DOD, sometimes off of schedule contracts run by DOD or by the the GSA. And I could be wrong here because I haven't studied this question, but I I don't think that this new rule is going to apply directly to much of the medical device industry. I do think that the rule is going to set something of a template and we'll be encouraging improved company practices. So I think that commercial companies, in fact, I've advised some large commercial companies who are both in defense and non-defense. I think the rule, when a commercial company decides to update its policies and procedures to avoid counterfeits, it may give special focus and add particular requirements for its military sales. But I think many of the same features of a good system will be extended uh, into other commercial or medical markets simply because it's good business. So this, from the standpoint of the rules, this is, I believe you called it the CAS uh, part? Yeah, the, the, it, it goes back to the statute. The, the way that Congress set this up is it, it made this Section 818 apply to something called cast contractors, and you got to sell at least, I think it's $50 million to DOD to even be subject to a little part of CAS. Uh, and I forget the exact number, but, but DOD by its own estimation thinks that some number less than 100 companies will be subject to all of the rules. And that's why it goes to such great lengths to uh, insist that those companies flow this down. But as I pointed out, they can insist that the regulated companies put demand. They can insist the regulated company include the clause and try to flow it down to their subs, but they don't have the legal power to make the subs take it. They have the legal power to make their prime contractors responsible if the subs don't, but they still cannot. Now, if you are a Japanese manufacturer of semiconductors, 
and uh, Raytheon, just to pick a random example, demands that you sign up to all these new requirements. You can say I'm perfectly happy to sell to you Raytheon, but only on my commercial terms, and I'm not going to do this. And in the end, Raytheon or others like it may find they have no choice other than to buy from the commercial source. Now, is that so terrible? Well, probably not, because really, if you're buying from a commercial off-the-shelf provider or a commercial item provider or from a leading global firm, I mean, really, the relative risk of counterfeits is low. And that's why there's a little bit of a kind of mistaken emphasis. You know, the demand for flowdown is all fine and good, but it puts a lot of pressure on some parts of the supply chain where the risk is low, but the difficulty of full compliance could be high. And why is that? Because it's not just about engaging in best practices to assure you produce authentic devices. It also includes taking measures to assure these devices are traceable. All right. But, but the, 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 the difficulty is this. The law says that, that if you furnish an item with a counterfeit part to DOD, that you have to, to eat the cost of that item when it comes time to replace it. Okay. It also says that you, the supplier of the system with the tiny counterfeit part, you are responsible for the cost of remediation. What that means is that if you have a missile that fails because there's a counterfeit part and falls to the ground as a dud instead of striking some target, the government could say, well, the cost of remediation is the replacement of the missile. And I've had experience in these areas, Stan. I can tell you, and I represent primarily the larger companies. I can, right. not always, but primarily. I can tell you that <laughs> the larger companies would love to have the microelectronic supplier agree to take on all that risk, right? but they're not going to do it. Right. They just can't. They'll they'll say, look, if my part is bad or I ship you a counterfeit, I'll replace it. But I'm not going to take on the cost of a missile that might fail 10 levels up on the supply chain and four customers removed. No way. Right. I mean, you're talking about huge amounts of risk uh, uh, slash money. I mean, that's... I, I pl- didn't play with missiles, but I in my military life, I was involved with uh, missile activity in the in the military and the uh, chaparral missiles to be exact and they're sure. expensive they were expensive back then and they're even more expensive today well let's see we're we're coming up quickly on the end of our show so bob what what would you say are your parting uh, suggestions to the small medium and large companies out there relative to this new uh, DFARS rule and beyond just calling you for more detailed information if they need it. Well, I, I, let's start with the small companies. Um, I think small and medium-sized companies have, have every reason to become better informed about the uh, existing and emerging standards for counterfeit detection and avoidance, as well as, well as to, to learn about the improved uh, methods for inspection and test, and some of the specialized resources that you can hire to help with that. I also think it's important for companies to recognize that that there are some uh, some firms, and uh, Secure Components, frankly, is one. There are some right. firms that that exist for the purpose of doing the very best job that can be accomplished in supplying the continuing demand for parts that are obsolete, no longer available from conventional sources or out of production. Uh, 
So I think that, that companies need to be informed and aware. I do think it's uh, important for companies in the supply chain of defense to take a look at their purchasing systems and their quality systems, to look at their inventory, to be aware of situations, if they know, where their parts might be used in mission critical applications or where human safety could be involved. I think it's important for uh, the bigger companies to be much more rigorous and to develop new policies and procedures and to not only implement new systems to detect and avoid counterfeit parts, but to regularly monitor the developments in the industry and in industry standards so that they remain current. As far as DOD goes, I think it's important to, that it act with some forbearance. I don't uh, question the purposes or many of the principles of the new rule. I just hope that those who are uh, assigned to administer and oversee it recognize the very great complexity of the subject area and work with companies to encourage them to adopt and employ best practices rather than looking for ways to, to punish them. Because if this, if this rule and the other ones to follow it were uh, applied to excess or unreasonably, then you will have a situation where the industrial base accessible to the Defense Department will shrink All right. because necessary commercial suppliers however reputable they are, just aren't going to want to play. And nobody, right. nobody wants that. One no. senior Pentagon official said to me, he said, in effect, I know that what I don't want is the million-dollar 8088 chip replacing my access to the commercial market. All right. We can't go back to that. So we have to kind of navigate through these uh, difficult waters uh, sensibly, but it is not wrong for DOD or other government customers, or for any any commercial customer, to want companies to do a better job to avoid counterfeits and to act responsibly when they think they've uncovered one. Oh, well, very good. We're uh, I, I want to thank you very much, Bob, for uh, being on the show today and sharing this valuable knowledge with our audience. Um, just real quickly, I need to close the uh, show, but before I do, how can folks get a hold of you if they uh, need or want more information? Well, I do uh, advise companies uh, large and medium and small on, on supply chain assurance measures. Uh, and I can be reached uh, through my office, which is uh, 202-777-8950 or by email at uh, rmetzger at rjo.com. Very good. Well, Bob, thank you much. I do appreciate it. Uh, and I'm going to uh, take a couple of minutes now and recognize our supporting staff for making this show work for us. The uh, folks at Voice America, Brandy Jackson, the general manager, Robert Cellino, executive producer, our uh, production manager, Randy Jackman, our director of host services, Jeffrey Gilst, our marketing and social media manager, is Brooke Ida. My right hand and the person that keeps me mostly out of trouble is Yulia Koch with Koch Branding. And uh, she's also, as I said, our people-to-people production manager. Um, Secure Components and Business and Quality Process Management are sponsors for the show. I thank them very much for all that they provide. In signing off, I want to thank you for tuning in to People to People, working together for your, your safety. Remember, change only happens when people come together and work together. 
you're helping the fight against the effects of hazardous substance and counterfeiting of consumer products and military products as well save a life. Until next time, I am your host, Stan Salat, wishing you a safe and healthy life. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat Jr. for next week's edition of People to People, Working for Your Safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. We'll be right back.